I believe that veterans are the key to unlocking America's next golden age. By empowering and influencing one million veterans to transition well and become leaders in their communities, we can unlock our country's destiny and continue to change the world. My name is Bernard Bergen. Amber Causey is a Chicago native from the west and south side of Chicago. To say Amber had a rough start in life is an understatement. As a high school dropout and teen runaway, Amber knows firsthand the deeper meaning of the words survival and struggle. Amber also knows the deep meaning of the words determination and destiny. Amber has went on to earn her master's degree in criminal justice while preparing for her destiny of becoming a lawyer. Along her amazing journey, Amber served seven and a half years in the U.S. Army and really credits that experience with untethering her from the chains of her past. Amber is a mother, community advocate, and an outstanding example of someone who never gives up. She continues to unlock doors for young women who might find themselves in trouble early on in life by sharing her story and relentlessly showcasing who you can become if you believe in yourself. Amber also believes that to be homeless, a woman, and a veteran is simply unacceptable. You can connect with Amber on Twitter at AmberC4MVA2017. Let's get started. Our first question, what would you say to your younger self right at the start of your military service? I would say, you know, don't be afraid. Um, don't be afraid to speak up, to stand up for myself. I was so afraid of going back to what I came from that I silenced myself in a lot of situations that I shouldn't have. Um, I allowed myself to be objectified, you know, and as a woman in the military, this is a huge issue. Um, even after the military, we're often looked at as second-class veterans, you know, when we serve too. And we deal with the same issues. You know, we have PTSD often, you know, as a result of some form of military sexual trauma. And, you know, there are one in four female veterans that go on to report that they were victims of MSD. And, you know, I dealt with sexual harassment from the time I entered training well into my career, you know, even while pregnant. So, you know, knowing what I know now and how my voice could have made a difference for another female service member. I would have told myself, you know, to speak up against those issues, you know, and what I'm passionate about. Wow. That's very reflective. And I want to stay right there. You said second class veterans. Can you help me unpack that to make sure that we get awareness around that idea and just, you know, bring the humility back to the veterans community that we all served and we all need to support each other with what's next? Yes, absolutely. There is a history of service members, women in general, fighting, you know, just to get their recognition, you know, that they, as early as, you know, World War One, World War Two, where they're fighting to get pensions, and they, they served on the front lines, they've been, you know, in these hostile war environments, and their fight, you know, kind of opened those doors for us, but even today, you know, we are still fighting. And it's a fight that we continue to fight, you know, even after we become veterans. Um, there are many who don't look at us as what a veteran is supposed to be. I mm. can be, you know, sitting at a restaurant with my family and, you know, I ask for like a military discount or something. And it's like, oh, you know, your husband served. I'm like, you know, no, I'm the veteran. Wow. And there's that stigma that's automatically associated with being a veteran. Like, oh, it's a male. Males only are male counterparts are only the ones that deal with PTSD, and, you know, we do, too. We're having to fight to get the community to understand, you know, hey, we're veterans, too. We serve, too. And because of this, we're not getting the services and the help that we need. Female veterans are the fastest-growing homeless population, and many don't want to associate us with being veterans, let alone associate us with being homeless. Mm. So it's, it's a... A issue that we're we're constantly have to fight, you know, and, and and show like, you know, hey, we serve in these positions, we deploy, we deal with PTSD too, and it's a, a huge issue that is not getting addressed, especially for females coming out of the military. Um, I seen something before where a woman, you know, she was great in service, and then later discharged for a personality disorder. Mm. And now she can't get the services and the help that she needs for PTSD. And, 
now she's a risk for being homeless, if not, you know, already homeless. And it's a cycle that just hasn't stopped. It continues. So as service members, as a veteran now, you know, I'm taking a stand and standing up like, look, this is the issues we're having as veteran women and hope that it'll ease the load for the next, you know, that have to continue on this fight. Yeah. I'm going to just ask you to stay right here just a bit. Do you think for our current serving female service members that things have gotten better? What are some of the stories coming out as you, your sisters connect and, you know, share stories in safe places? Have things gotten better within our, you know, in our military ranks, or is it still a lot of hush hush, still a lot of willingness to deny the truth of the experience of our female service members and our female veteran population? What are some of those stories and ideas around that space? Are things improving or is it still pound the pavement every day? I would definitely say it depends on, you know, what environment you're in. If you're in a garrison environment, if you're serving in a trade op, you know, entity where you're just dealing with training, if you're deployed, I mean, I would say that I definitely feel like there's a lot more trust in the system when it comes to sharks, because I know from the very first experience I had in training, I had a permanent party cadre member touch me inappropriately, and I reported it. And the shark representative at the time, you know, they were friends, and it was a woman too, and, and she kind of got to questioning me more so as an interrogation. And it kind of made me started shutting down, like, look, I'm just trying to say what's happening to me. You know, this didn't happen. It was the most uncomfortable feeling to have to walk back in that schoolhouse the next day because he was on staff duty with me at the time when this happened. So he was mm. off the next day when I reported it. So to have to walk back in there and see that he's there and, and for me to feel like nothing happened, it really shook me and shook my faith in the system. And then not even a year later, I'm getting contacted at my new duty station to come and testify at a court martial against him because he raped, you know, another trainee. Mm. And something that I feel like could have been prevented. But you see now, you hear about the numbers as far as reports going up and people are coming forward and sharing their stories. So you kind of don't know whether to take it as a good thing or a bad thing. Does this mean more rapes are happening or more assaults happening? Or are more people having faith in the system to come forward, you know, and do something about it? That's definitely a shift in everything that's going on, especially in the training too. I definitely seen a shift from what the shark training was when I initially came in to as I was getting ready to transition out. We go through so many annual trainings and quarterly trainings. I'm not not a lot of times is taken serious. There's been instances where I've been handed a signing rock and say, Hey, sign your name, flip through this PowerPoint presentation, you have your training, you know, go back to work. You know, and now they're really like on top of this, you know, no, you need to sit here with the rep, you need to have this training. I think it's definitely um, something that might be improving. Um, we also need to focus on those that do come forward, not having to experience some type of reprisal hmm. for choosing to come forward against their accuser. So I, I think that's a huge thing as well. And making and leaders, making sure that those who do come forward go in and get some type of mental health treatment and not just kind of sweep it under the rug or keep it silent. Like, it's better to be proactive about it with the training and everything. But then if somebody do come forward, like, get ahead of it, do what needs to be done, regardless if, if it's somebody you've been mentoring, somebody you're close friends with. Like, you know, put all of that aside and come to realize that these women and these young girls, you know, these are, are somebody's daughters. Some of them are straight out of high school. It's your responsibility to protect them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'll just uh, clarify for the listeners who might not be familiar with the SHARP program. It's the Military Sexual Harassment Assault Response and Prevention Program. And like all programs, without awareness, without accountability, there can be, as we are clearly aware, incidents that you know people try to skirt the truth and not truly lean on the facts of what occurred. And I love that you touched on the, just the scary reality that you have to, at times, walk back in and see your accuser, only to find out later on that they're now accused and on court martial for something that, if taken seriously the first time, could have 
you know, saved a life to, to include the mental, physical, and emotional anguish that continues, you know, after an incident. This question is going to be tough. What would you say to your younger self to convince your younger self to speak up? Was that advice that if someone came to you to advocate, would that be advice you'd listen to? Or would you still be a little bit put off by advice like that? And either way, why? I think that my younger self definitely would have put it off more so because I was so afraid of not wanting to put myself in that negative light or that negative situation. The Army gave me everything. The Army gave me a home, somewhere to sleep. It gave me three meals, you know, a day to eat. It gave me friends. I didn't have any of these things. So I didn't want to cause any type of tension that could take any of that away from me. I was very careful about treading, you know, the water, making sure I'm doing everything by the book. Like, I didn't want to be caught up in anything like that. And when it did happen, you know, I was terrified. It was like, okay, I don't want this to go any further. I'm, I'm coming from a very traumatic past, and everything is so recent and so fresh. And I'm like, okay, if this man feels comfortable enough to do this with me in a building full of training while I'm on duty, but he sent, you know, my battle buddy away to go do, like, the fire guard tech, I'm like, okay, you know, no, I need to say something. And initially, I only told my platoon sergeant and and he was very upset like he understood the severity of it a lot more than I did you know I'm a new trainee I didn't understand what a lot of women were dealing with in the military as far as sexual harassment or sexual assault go so he was livid and he's like no you know we're going to get to the bottom of this and I can see too that when he kind of seen everything get swept under the rug, it broke his spirit for me too. Like, mm. And that was um, hard for me to deal with. So I don't think that had someone came to me and tried to, hey, this is going on and this and that, I probably would have given the wrong advice. The younger me, you know, would have been like, look, just ignore it. You're clear of him. And it's an issue. That's an issue that's prevalent today. Sometimes we as women continue to laugh things off when we feel uncomfortable, not because we're okay with what's taking place, but because it's easy to just laugh it off than to say something and, you know, not know what's going to happen, what the consequences are going to be. Sometimes we can get way out of proportion and that can ruin somebody's career, somebody that you actually considered a friend. Mm. So as women, too, we kind of want to be careful as well, because some of them we do look at as our brothers, as our friends. We become friends with their spouses. We get close to their kids. So it's definitely a kind of a battle we have to deal with with ourselves. Like, okay, I'm going to just laugh this off instead of, hey, look, battle, you need to watch what you're doing. You, you know, you're kind of being a bit inappropriate. That way, the next service member that can be working under him, you know, won't feel uncomfortable or he, you know, will know what boundaries to cross and not to cross. Hmm. I like it. What I want to, again, just set a foundation on. Now, service members listen to this show. What exactly would you say to a service member, especially a female service member, feeling that energy around, don't bite the hand that feeds me, even though I feel and know this is wrong. What would you say to them? Report anonymously, come forward boldly and openly with all the threats of, like you said, loss of friendships, career, forward life momentum. And I don't want to, again, to deny the issue. The issue is the issue. But what could we say to someone in that same state so that they feel, one, that they're being heard, and two, that it's okay to make that decision to stand up for themselves? I would definitely say, you know, assess your own situation and how you feel and what stage of it you are in. You know, if you're dealing with somebody that you do consider a friend and you do are close to, and they're just making comments that are making you uncomfortable, you can be subliminal and they're not coming directly out and saying anything to you, address them head on, you know, be brave, be strong, and it's going to be extremely uncomfortable for you both. But if you are concerned with, okay, this is my friend, I kind of want to help them moving forward as a leader to be direct and be bold with them. But if 
it has already gotten out of hand to first it started with comments and now it's okay touching too touchy mm. and touching inappropriately is making you feel uncomfortable then go and talk to a leader you know anonymously and have that leader talk to that service member and let them know like look i've noticed you doing this and you're doing that there are great leaders in the military that will protect your identity and protect who you are you know moving forward they yeah. want to be able to develop all of us as leaders so there are men who do these things unconsciously some of them grew up with nothing but women around them you know only a bunch of sisters you know a mom and so they don't understand that what they're doing is making someone feel uncomfortable, especially someone who's been through something traumatic before. As uncomfortable as it's going to make you feel to speak up and say something, the last thing you want to do is for it, allow it to progress or foster that environment where it continues to progress. Got it. I love how direct you got there. And as you were sharing, it highlighted for me something that I... I'm super concerned with, especially within the veterans community and our service member community, where our underlying foundation is values. So when I saw the recent Marine scandal, I guess what really hit me hard was those values should be in our heart, not on the wall, and it should be something that we check before we act. And when you see a scandal like that break, then the first thing I think of is the values. And, you know, as you address this, I'm hearing how deep are we going with values to make sure that they're in our service men and women and not just on the wall so that when it comes to these moments, that there's a value deeper than the history of that person. Like you mentioned, you could be from a background where no one showed you what boundaries look like. But hopefully, as we deepen our values, our, our value culture, that the values would now be the new foundation, now be the new benchmark. Any thoughts on that or any thoughts on the recent scandal as well and how service members in that situation or how the veterans community, in your opinion, should respond to concerns and, and true incidents like that? Absolutely. And I definitely seen that scandal um, with the Marines releasing new photos or inappropriate photos of, of Marine female service members. And I definitely would say, you know, just like with any profession, there are a few bad in the bunch. I mm -hmm. definitely wouldn't look at all Marine males. They don't respect women or this and that. Like the military in general builds us up as leaders from the time we come in, you know, the values and they're instilled in us, they're drilled in us, but we are still human. We make a mistake. Mm -hmm. And initially, I would love to have seen like, okay, they're young men out of high school. I get it. You know, you made a mistake. Apologize for it. Learn from it and move forward. But when you hear like, okay, it's still continuing. Nothing's happening about it. It kind of makes you concerned um, because the military does, you know, have a history of not addressing these type of things when it comes to service members. So I would definitely say they might not understand and they need to understand, you know, that revenge porn is a crime. Mm. And I would hope that whether they know it or not, whether the media knows it or not, because, you know, we only know what they're putting out there, that the military is handling it, that the Marine is, the Marine Corps is handling it. And I would hope that female service members and all services don't get discouraged, don't lose hope because things like this happen, whether you're in high school, mm -hmm. you know, whether you are a police officer, whether you are a nurse, like it can happen within any profession, yeah. you know, to say, to dehumanize us and say we have to be completely perfect and it's and that, like, no, we all make our mistakes along the way. And it's about how you learn from them and grow from them. Wow, that was really well said. And I think that will remind everyone to before you pass judgment, really assess culture and give people, again, hold them accountable and also give them that chance to make amends. So I really like how you touched on that. Now, staying right there, when you get to speak to men, to women, parents even, on people signing up for military service, given that you've seen some of the bad, just like we all have, but you've also seen many of the benefits. 
what do you usually start that conversation with? What do you usually share first or what questions do you ask? Well, I first tell them, because every time I'm talking to someone that is interested in the military and I've had people reach out to me and I have to first tell them, like, look, I'm by no means a recruiter, but I will tell you, you know, what the military has done for me in my experience. And I have to remind them, you know, keep an open mind. The experience is different from for everybody, you know, everybody joins for different reasons. Everybody stay in and continue to serve for different reasons. But I tell them, you know, first and foremost, don't let the media's portrayal of the military or the things that you see in movies or on the television prejudice you from making what could be one of the most honorable decisions mm. of your life. Mm-hmm. And and I think that that's a huge issue. I've always have young men come up to me like, oh, I want to join, but I don't want to go to war. And I'm like, look, there are people that have been in 20 plus years and have never deployed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so don't focus so much on that. Focus on if you did join, why do you want to join? Everybody is not joining, you know, to go to war. Or we want to pick up a gun. And shoot. There are people who are cooks, who are musicians, who are athletes, and you can join the military and do that. You want to be a doctor, you know, there's no business profession in the world that would develop the things you that you want to do that you have no prior experience in that would develop you in that and give you a home, give you free education, like allow you to travel for free. There's no other place in the world that will do that. And I tell them, you know, I was a sophomore in high school when I initially filled out an interest card and a recruiter didn't knock on my door until nearly two years later. And by that time, you know, my life had changed so drastically. Um, I honestly, I couldn't tell you why I initially filled out that interest card, but had a recruiter came and contacted me sooner, I probably wouldn't have even went. Mm. But by the time, you know, I was contacted, I was homeless. I was house hopping between friends' houses, trying not to, you know, wear out my welcome. So when that recruiter did contact me, I cried that night, mainly because I was ready to go. If I could have, I would have left right then and there. But mm-hmm. there was a process, as with anything. I had no ID, no GED or high school diploma, no birth certificate, no mm-hmm. social security card. I was on temporary probation at the time. I was at one of the most lowest and vulnerable points in my life. And the mm-hmm. Army changed my life. And I would tell them, you know, Think about all the things you want to do in your life. The Army can do that for you. Mm, mm. That's, wow. That's very revealing, touching. And I just love how you truly set the stage of you want to connect with something and there might you might not have access to the training or an organization that can get you that experience. But within service, you can gain that experience. Within service, you can gain a foundation to whatever is coming next in your life. And you really touched on that. And I think that for parents, for people thinking about life in the military, I love how you touched on, it's not the movies. I know you see all these pictures and Instagram posts and, you know, you want to feel a certain way about war, but guys, the military needs musicians. The military needs people who will never deploy and who do the detailed administrative work. And I think if we don't say that enough, the idea that all the military does is what's portrayed overshadows all the good the military does, not just for the world, for our country, but for each individual service member and their connected families. Yeah. And one more thing I will say is if you do deploy... You might be afraid now, but by the time you do deploy, you are not afraid. The military will train the crap out of you. It's (laughs) a nonstop cycle. We train, we train, we train. In our sleep, we train 24-7. I mean, it's a huge sacrifice, especially if you have a family. Mm. But you will be prepared, and you can assure yourself that the person next to you, you know, to your left, and and behind you, they're trained, and they, they mm-hmm. have your back. You know, you're not going out here by yourself. You have people, you know, that you're going to train with. You guys are a team. So if you have faith in that and realize that we are not taking, 
nearly as many casualties as you know we did in our history like mm-hmm. we are one of the greatest armies you know the greatest military entities in this world and if you have faith in that you'll be okay wow when did you learn to trust the training i know that it took me a while to just believe the training would equip me for whatever they sent me to my question to you is how quickly did you adapt to that like before they send me anywhere they're going to train me I needed to learn to trust in myself and in my own capabilities first. Mm, got I it. think um, we always continue, we self-doubt ourselves or we're, we're our own biggest critics. And I just kept telling myself, oh, I can't do this. And, and coming from everything I was coming from, like, oh, my God, there's no way. And I had to trust in myself first and then learn to open up and trust in those around me. And after that, Everything was a breeze. We are, even as women, we're breaking, you know, standards in the military. You know, I feel like we can do a lot of things better than our male counterparts. Mm, so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I definitely had to learn to trust in myself first. Wow. Wow. What was that point that made you become your best advocate? Was it just your military experiences or was there some educational uh, benchmarks that you met along the way? Was it more having more structure, more stability. What triggered that self-belief that launched you into a lot of what you're able to do now? I would say it was while I was deployed and I realized like, look, it's go time. I didn't have much of a choice but to kind of transition from this young girl, this 19-year-old girl into a woman. Mm. I was deployed into an all-male unit. I deployed directly out of my um, advanced individual training. And, you know, I got to my first duty station, and I did training for about a, a, a month and a half, two months, and then I was deployed. So that was definitely kind of a shock for me almost because I didn't even get to train with them. They were already deployed. So I did training, piggybacking off of other units, and then, you know, I was over there, and I had to, I realized, like, okay, you've been in training nonstop since you started basic training. You've had some great leaders. Just apply what you've learned. Apply what you continue to learn. You know, um, set ground here and hit the ground running, and that's what I did. I had some great mentors and leaders there who who took me under their wing as a daughter, you know, and as a little sister. And, and that helped me a lot, especially being over there by myself, not having any females that I could latch on to and, and have a friend with. We lived in trailers and, and there was, to use the restroom trailer, it was kind of few bunkers down and it's really, really pitch black out there at night. And to be able to just log on the Skype and message someone else that's in my unit and they're willing to get up any time of the night and walk me to go use the restroom was a huge comfort to me mm-hmm. because sexual assault and stuff is something that happens even deployed at an alarming rate that many, you know, would think it shouldn't happen over there, but it does. Um, the issues that we face here, they don't change just because our location changes. So mm-hmm. it definitely, that was definitely a point in my career where I was like, okay, you know, it's time to take this serious, understand, you know, everything I want to get out of this and and make sure that I can come back. I didn't really have much of a support system, but I do know that, okay, there are people that do care about me (laughs) and I wanted to come back with everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I think that was, that was a powerful story of turning that switch on and you, you really brought it home when you said I had to allow this 19-year-old girl to become a woman. And what a way to experience that in your first deployment. Now, seven and a half year military career, when you were transitioning, all the thoughts, all the emotions, all the feelings, what one word answer would you give when I say military transitions? I would say bittersweet. Wow. Wow. My decision to take off my uniform was a very drastic decision for me, but it was the right decision Decision when it comes, you know, to my family. Mm-hmm. I was a single mother, and I can't even put it in words how hard it was being a mother and being in the military. I felt the need to overcompensate in my job just so when it came time for me to take care of my child because she got sick, for instance, 
it wouldn't cause any stifle. It wouldn't be an issue. Any EO observances, any volunteer work, um, any exposure of the quarter boards, I was involved in everything, mm-hmm. any and everything. And when I didn't realize what I was doing, I was making myself an asset. And right. when it came time for me to go, it was always an issue, no matter where I worked. My first assignment at Fort Campbell, we had our orders to deploy again before we even came or we were in the process of coming back from our deployment to Iraq. We already knew we were going to Afghanistan a year later. And initially, I had, by the time our orders did come, I was scheduled to deploy at exactly my six-month postpartum point. I had just had my first child, so that was about to be a difficult, a difficult choice. But all the females ended up getting dropped off of the deployment because it was an infantry mission. So at this point, I had just gotten married. My husband at the time, he was a drill sergeant, and we were separated. I'm like, okay, well, all of the females got dropped. They don't need all of us 42 alphas on the rear detachment. I can PCS at this point. I'm within my window. All my unit needed to do was unfit me. When I tell you, that was one of the biggest struggles in my career, and it just broke me, you know, mm-hmm. mentally. It was like, look, I've given you guys everything. I've worked my butt off for this unit. I served in capacities well above my pay grade. I came in here on weekends while pregnant, you know, never complaining. Like, I do my job. I do it well. I do PT. So the military is all about, oh, you're good at PT. You're good. I, I did PT throughout my entire pregnancy. I just couldn't understand why at the opportunity where they could give something back to me, and I can go be with my family, that it was such a battle. It was such a struggle, and it just broke me mentally. <laughs> and it came to the point where I had to have my entire command standing before the full bird, which is definitely, you know, I had to go to IG. It was definitely a measure that I didn't want to take or I didn't want it to escalate. But the things that they were doing were so wrong, you know, just to keep me there. I was illegally flagged for instance, so I couldn't clear the installation. And it took the weight of an 06 putting his rank behind me, telling them, like, no, why are you guys keeping her here? She's just an E4, and you guys are trying to have her serve in the position of an E6 or an E7. If you guys need someone that bad, I'll give you someone. Let her go. And they let me go, and I didn't receive any type of award for my service there. It was kind of, you know, their way of, okay, well, we're not going to give you an award, regardless of everything I did. And it hurt, but the same thing happened. Here I am in a trade-off unit now. And now I was promoted to E5, and I was doing really good things on the base that I was assigned to Fort Field that I was being picked out of all the E6s on that base to come and work directly for the CG. Hmm. And it was an E6 position, and it was I was, of course, jumping at the opportunity, like, absolutely, that would be good for my career. I knew that I was all about progressing in my career. I wanted to do great things as a woman in the military. When I would go to board, you know, they would ask me, you know, what do you want to gain from the military? What are your aspirations? And I'm like, you know, I want to be the first sergeant major of the Army. Like, Mm -hmm. that was my goal. That was something that I was serious about, and I was working towards that. I was taking the steps towards that. So it was a struggle, again, not as um, hectic as it was, you know, at the first unit, but it was a struggle when I left there, and then it became a struggle then because then I was getting put on order to now go work for a nominated assignment for the Defense Threat Reduction Agency, which was another step up. So it's like, oh, my goodness, all of these great things are happening in my career but it's always some type of guilt. You know, I feel guilty about wanting to progress, wanting to move on and move forward because I've turned myself into such an asset at this unit and it turns into an issue now. So when I found out I was pregnant, you know, with my second child, I knew that it was time for me to leave the military. I, with my daughter, anytime something came up, regardless of the work I was doing for my unit, it was always, where's your family care plan? Mm. If had any of my leaders taken the time to really get to know me, they would have known that I was coming from a traumatic past. I had no support system. I was coming from a situation where I was homeless. 
You know, mm-hmm. I was coming mm-hmm. from a situation where I was a victim of sex trafficking. So you expect me to just leave my daughter with the strangers like that's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, what's one or two days because my daughter can't go to daycare because she's sick compared to all the time that I spend here. I get up at 530 in the morning to drop my daughter off at daycare. So I'm there at first formation. By the time I pick her up, it's about 630 in the evening. By the time we're at home, she's in bed by 8.30. So at that rate, you know, I was missing out on more than half of her life. I missed so many firsts with her, so many moments that I would never get to take back. Not to mention all the 24-hour duties. All the time, I had to leave and go to training and had to leave her for months at a time. So I knew that when when I found that I was pregnant with my second child, it was a no-brainer. It was a difficult decision because I did have aspirations within the military. Life happened, and I needed at that point to finally put my duty as being a mother first. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to ask you to do two things. The first is going to be, what would you say to that mother soldier who's living what you just shared, you know, about just that bittersweet process? And then what would you say... And this is a bit of a tricky space, but I think you actually have that insight. What would you say to those husbands or fathers whose family is split in the military where the child's mother is serving as well, just as they are, and just to share with them how much more support they could bring to the table? In terms of the mother first, I would definitely tell her don't get caught up in the turmoil of it all like I did. Um, trust your instincts, trust your gut. And, you know, there are, and something I wish I would have done, there are a lot of programs um, on the military installations as well as in communities that address being single mothers, stuff that I didn't really know. Try to connect with other single mothers where, you know, if something happened, hey, I can keep your son this time, you can keep mine. Really work on establishing that support system if you don't have it. If it's something getting away in the way of you establishing those because of something that happened to you, seek help. Don't let it keep you guarded and keep this wall up to where you back yourself up against the corner. And then if something happens, you're kind of being reactive, like, okay, I don't have a family care plan. You know, you guys didn't know, like, yes, it is a requirement and it's something that you can get ahead of and communicate, you know, with your leaders. And I know everybody doesn't have the best leadership, um, isn't always at open door where you feel comfortable enough to go in and share, especially something so personal, especially as a woman where something you feel is going to be held against you. Um, But sometimes you have to, you can't let it weigh you down. You can't let it stress you out. There are women who get overwhelmed of being caught up between their duties to the military and being a parent who have went on to commit suicide. Hmm. And the last thing that you want to happen so you can get ahead of it um, if you work on establishing your support system. Um, as far as uh, males go, I would say first, those that are couples that are dual military, um, I would be the first to say, because I was dual military at one point, it's just like being a single parent. Mm. Um, it's just, it's the same thing. When I initially started going through issues of, oh, where's your family care plan? Because two service members that are married are required to have a family care plan. They both can go off the train and they both can deploy. They're not going to just say, oh, well, you guys are married. You guys have a child. We're only going to deploy one of you. Like, no, regardless of your family and your personal life, you both have your own separate obligations to the military. Mm -hmm. So, I would say that um, as far as males go, because the, the issue I have with the military is they rarely come after the male service member. And that's how it was with me, you know, and my ex-husband, he was a drill sergeant at the time. I was working in the S1 and it was, oh, if you don't have a family care plan, we're going to separate you from the military. He never had that issue. He was never counseled about it, nothing. And I was going through this headache, and it, it, it's something that drove a wedge between our relationship because it was 
okay, look, you can help me out more. If you get off early, go pick them up from daycare. We shouldn't have to be paying daycare overseas when you're already off work because I got held up at work, you know, longer than I anticipated. If you can do something that can make it easier for me as a mother, then do that. A lot of dual military couples, sometimes the male service member forget that we are service members too. You know, we have the same work hours. We have to be there can pick up the slack a little more or try to balance it out. And it's not all um, couples or all service members, but from my experience, and then from what I've seen a few friends or coworkers go through, it's definitely an imbalance when it comes to his obligations and hers and him feeling like his is more important. Mm. Mm. I think you really just gave a, a breath of fresh air to, I think, something else that many tend to overlook. I, I was always challenged by just how much it felt, in my opinion, how much parents in the military were being asked to give. I don't think it was any more than any other service member, but the thought in my mind was always, but their son, their daughter, and we're here, this is 10 p.m., and we're all still here. <laughs> like, what about their son and their daughter? And I think in some units, you had that camaraderie where people would say, I, I'll cover your shift. You go ahead and go. But that wasn't always right. the case. And, and I'm glad that you just took the time to address that dual military truth that just needs to be talked about a bit more. Yes, absolutely. Wow. Wow. And it's so insightful, you know, b because when we see many of our female service members, ETS, and we're like, you were amazing at what you did. Why would you leave? Yeah. <laughs> We never know the silent pressure that they were under to just make sure they, you know, exceeded the standards and even exceeded their male counterparts, but also maintained as a mother, as a wife, and some of those other roles. And I think you just yeah. really showcased just the journey, the pressure, but you also showcased the successes, like working for a commanding general, being chosen to work for a CG, huge. It speaks to your character, it speaks to your accomplishments, both you know, in your military service and duties, but just also what you brought to the table. So I love the words you use, bittersweet, because as you were talking, I was like, wow, you cannot have picked a, a better word for, for that journey or for that, you know, that life experience. Because yes, lots of accomplishment, lots of successes. But at the same time, like you mentioned, you want to be able to progress. You want to be able to support. You want to be supported in those career opportunities that only come once in a lifetime. I think you navigated that really well. And I think in sharing your story the way you did, you'll show many of our female veterans, even many of our male veterans, that we still have influence on the military. And if we're not lending our influence to support the troops in the ways that they need to be supported, some of our best and brightest, they'll walk away from the core a lot sooner than they have to. Absolutely. Okay. Now, I want you to, as much as you want to share or as little, just touch on what you do now, touch on your educational journey, and touch on your advocacy. Okay, um, absolutely. So right now, I stay at home full-time with my son, and I'm a full-time student. I'm working on my second master's degree, and I hope that, you know, by the time my son starts school, that he's two now, so by the time... He starts school that I'll be ready to go to law school. That is a goal of mine. I wow. am preparing to take the LSAT in September. I'm hoping um, that definitely on my list of to do things in the future, I don't take any of the time I have with my kids now for granted. Like being a part of every second of every day of my son's life shows me that's how much of my daughter's life I missed out on. Mm. And it solidifies my decision to get out. Now, you know, I volunteer for any and everything I can in my community. Of course, I always look for things that will accommodate the fact that I am a single mother because I drag him along with me. So I do <laughs> um, enjoy delivering meals with the Meals on Wheels program. And senior citizens always love seeing babies. <laughs> so that works out. <laughs> yeah. I volunteer um, by speaking to at-risk youth on bullying. Um, a lot of the issues that I faced growing up, um, just telling them regardless of whatever mistakes they made, like they can overcome those things. I'm somebody who 
I was arrested four times prior to me turning 17, where I am in my life right now, I couldn't have even imagined this for myself. Talking to at-risk youth is something I'm extremely passionate about because sometimes there are people who are in roles that can mentor them and that are beating them down even further. Like, oh, you made this mistake. You're never going to amount to the life. Like, no, you're going to make mistakes. Make them while you're young. Mm -hmm. That way, when you're older, you can look back and say, man, you know, I was stupid. But you have experiences that you can enlighten the future youth with. You can enlighten your own children with. You can grow up being a better person in this society, you know, being a better parent than what you've had. I mean, it's a cycle that you can break. And I enjoy speaking out on behalf of Final Salute, Inc. It's a nonprofit that goes to raise awareness on the issues of veteran women homelessness, something that, again, a lot of people are not willing to accept. We are the fastest growing homeless population, and it's an issue that definitely needs to be moved to the forefront and have a light shined on it and something that needs to be addressed to be a veteran and to be a woman and homeless is just unacceptable. Mm -hmm. And then let me just say as a person, you know, I feel good about what I'm doing. What I do miss most about the military is just that sense of being a part of something that is so much bigger than I am. And and that's what volunteering does to me. Mm -hmm. Wow. I loved just the breadth of your commitment to giving back and you know, at times when people hear one side of a story, there's judgments and opinions, but you're still given just as much effort and energy to the things that you can support that are bigger than you. And when we hear your story of your military service, we're like, okay, it's the exact same person. You just found a different passion. And I love how you just touched on, hey, I value being a mother who can be involved and I want to make sure that that's a part of my life and I'm a part of their lives. I think that's also a deep key. And I just want to say congratulations on your journey to being a lawyer mm -hmm. and knowing that you're doing it not just for yourself, but for all those watching you, your children, your community. And then your advocacy becomes even stronger because now you're fully aware of where someone can rise to no matter their start in life. I think that's such a deep truth that you're living in real time for all of us to see. Yeah. Okay. What military value would you say helps you the most in your daily life and why? I would say discipline definitely helps me the most in my life. Um, it keeps me organized. It's easy to get overwhelmed. And let me first just say, being a mother, a stay-at-home mother, is the hardest job in the world. I know as a service member, I used to kind of look down on the stay-at-home mothers or the other service members, like, oh, they're not really working. And my hat goes off to all the women who choose to stay at home and raise kids. And I only have to be here with a two-year-old because most of the time my daughter is in, a, is in school eight hours out the day. And so it has been a roller coaster ride. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't even imagine being a mother who's at home with multiple kids that are so close in age. Like my hat goes off to them. I, I personally think they deserve some type of salary when they <laughs> stay at home and only focus on being a parent. I truly, truly believe that. So discipline definitely helps me, um, teaches me to be patient, um, mm -hmm. to stay organized, um, not to overreact in some situations, because I have. I've personally sought counseling, parenting classes, just because I would say that I lack um, my mother was out of my life the time I was 13. She didn't come back into my life until I was 20. Um, mm -hmm. My father, you know, my biological father was in my life at 13. He was out of my life at 16. So I lack a positive example. And it's something that I'm in fear of every day. You know, the more and more I continue to parent, I don't see the end goal and that worries me. Mm -hmm. I, I'm scared. I don't know. What's going to happen? Am, am I going to make it with my daughter as a mother past 13? 
am I going to go on and see her go through high school and see her off to college and see her get married? Those things scare me and they consume me. Um, I, my biggest fear is, you know, my kids going down the same path I went down, going through the same things I went through. And I, for me, I try to just think of a lot of things I would talk. A lot of my big life lessons came while I was in the military. And I have to remember, like, okay, look, you went to war. You've done all of this. You can mm-hmm. handle a two-year-old. Mm-hmm. You can handle a seven-year-old. You've got this. I have to mm-hmm. stay disciplined, give myself those pep talks, because I have moments where I close my door. You know, my son's hollering and crying. I have to just close my door. And I sit down, you know, and I balled up, and I just cry. Because mm-hmm. it's so hard. It, it's so mm-hmm. hard. I don't have someone where I can just call and say, hey, can you come watch my son? I've missed appointments for like the VA, for instance, because they can't accommodate my son. I missed, I couldn't get an MRI or I'd rescheduled so many times that by the time, you know, I was about to reschedule again, they're like, no, you know, just bring your kid and a nurse sat in the waiting room and watched my kids while I got an MRI. Oh, wow. I mean, it's things like that. It's definitely hard now um, being a mom, a full-time mom, because I still don't have the support system. Everything I'm doing, I'm trying to bring my kids along. You know, if somebody asks me, oh, can you come speak? Well, absolutely. I would love to. I would love to come volunteer, you know, but can I bring my kids along? And that's the hardest thing to deal with as a mother. So discipline is definitely something that I have to maintain in my day-to-day life. Wow. Thanks for sharing that that way. I think it's so easy to overlook how much our female veterans bring to the table because we want to compare it like it's apples to apples in personal and home responsibilities. And I think as you shared that deeper truth, you know, it hit me that when would you find the time to heal and get counseling on things like PTSD or things like physical injuries when you still have this full-time role with no days off? And I love how you just share that story of a nurse finding the time to be with your children as you got some treatment that you needed. And I think we don't hear these honest stories enough so that we know to not pass judgment or to not advocate where we can. You know, and I think as you talk about support systems, that's the deeper message that I'm feeling is how do we continue to support the support systems that are really making a difference, such as Final Salute and some of the others that you mentioned, because if not them, then who? Absolutely. And and I do like how you said, when do we find the time to get the help and the counseling that we need? And one thing I will say is the VA system here has been awesome. They have been so good to me. When I tell you that I do all of my counseling and everything over the phone, mm. I can pick up the phone anytime and contact my therapist that I go through psychotherapy with. And if I leave a voicemail, he contacts me back that same day. And if he doesn't have any availability, he's like, you know, we can touch base at this time tomorrow. I'll give you a call. And even if I don't call, they contact me and check on me. You know, and I noticed that some systems, they allow service members and veterans to fall through the cracks. And and I'm telling you, they bug the crap out of me sometimes. (laughs) Sometimes I have my moments where I don't want to be bothered. Like, no, and and I can just see my phone ringing because nobody calls me. So when my phone is ringing, I know it's someone from there. And they're calling me and and they leave me voicemails like, hey, just checking in on you and to see how you're doing. And that feels good. You know, I feel like there is, I would benefit more. And there are a lot of service members that would benefit more as far as just getting away, checking into a hospital and really diving into the treatment that I need and, and that we all need. Mm-hmm. But I can't do that with my kids. Wow. And, and that's a struggle. That's something that's hard. And sometimes, you know, I lose hope as far as, is there ever going to be a point where I can lead a normal life? You know, mm-hmm. I've been in counseling since 2010 and it's definitely something I'm a lot more optimistic about now than I was while I was still in the service. I felt like there was a lack of continuity when it came to mental health um, treatment. I went through 
four different counselors, I would say. And every time I felt like I was starting completely over because we're dealing with counselors and therapists that are service members too. Hmm. You know, they still have their obligations. They have to meet as far as trainings, appointments, and they rotate out. And that was something that, you know, was hard for me. Some of the things I'm opening up with and I'm talking about, I'm trusting in you enough to share these things with you. And now you're leaving. And I have to trust that this new person is going to understand me, understand my plight as a woman in the military, as a single mother, that they're going to understand the issues that I'm coming, you know, with. And that was something that I struggled with while I was in the military. And I didn't receive the proper treatment. But now I definitely have a good team, I would say. Hmm. I'm a bit speechless because I love how you said that the VA system in your area really creates a foundational connection to you, just checking in on you. And I think that's something I've never heard. So I know that our listeners would be refreshed to hear that. And I also like how you just touched on, there's things that take time. And I think to every listener, what they're going to hear most, as I reflected on it, as you were sharing, is that you did not give up. You did not give up on yourself. You did not give up on your service. You did not give up on being a mother. And I think at times we don't know how hard it is to not give up. And I'm so thankful that you're sharing your story this way because not only are you healing, serving, mothering, and rebuilding your life, you touched on some foundational truths, like the need to get back to your state of normal and how at so, in so much of what we've been through in service, it seems so elusive at times. Like when will normal show back up? When will just regular show back up? And I think in what you shared, just seeing your strength to keep going and not give up, knowing that it's one day, one moment, one minute, one second at a time. I think so many female veterans, so many of the greater community is going to really appreciate that truth and that honesty. And I just love how you, you're able to give both the lens of the daily work and what hasn't worked. Just talking about the consistent check-ins versus just the real scenarios of having counselors who are in and out because they have their own obligations to service as well. And I think it paints a picture of how we find the help and which help will work for us a bit more. And I, and the key word that I'm picking up on is consistency. Yeah. Okay. So I know you, you study a lot, so there are some books (laughs) on the table, but when you find a book that really just speaks to your soul or, or connects with your soul, or a training program, or a, a class, or a YouTube video. What are those books? What are those training programs, or conferences, or what are those classes? I do <laughs> a lot of books. A lot of deal with the criminal justice field. But one book that I read, and it was funny how it kind of entered itself in my life. I would say I was on a casting call with my daughter. She does acting. Mm. And I was there with her and I was just sitting this particular casting call. Um, they were filming in someone's house. So I was just sitting in the living room and, and the lady who owned the house, she was a teacher. So she had a lot of books around and she had this one book, put a bookmark in it that was sitting on the table and the title of it caught my eye. So I picked it up and flipped through some of the pages. I read the table of contents first. And then I'm like, okay, I started flipping through some of the pages. As soon as I got home, I went on Amazon and I ordered two of the books. And it, mm. was, it was by Tara Knight. And it's called The Life-Changing Magic of Not Giving a F, asterisk, asterisk, asterisk. <laughs> 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 and I told you, I think, I know I have this problem really bad. And I think other people do as well we care too much Mm. about what other people think and it makes us overanalyze the situation Mm. you know over plan things trying to prepare for okay this can happen or you know maybe this can happen just a different scenario to have something can go instead of sitting back enjoying the moment learning to realize that it's okay to say no you know Mm. it's okay to cut people out of your life like it's okay so it's okay to do those things and that's what this book does you know I think that some service members 
have a struggle with, depending on where they're coming from as far as joining the military, um, leaving their past behind them. You know, their past can be something that hinders them, especially if they come from a not great neighborhood. But they feel obligated to help out other people that are still living there doing the same thing. And it's only weighing them down. Like, it's okay. You don't have to feel guilty about wanting more in life. You don't have to, to feel guilty about wanting to do things for yourself. You can't keep putting into everyone else and not putting into yourself or you're not receiving anything. And that book definitely kind of helps me take the edge off. Nice. And I recommend it to everybody. It's definitely not a book that I would have just went searching for. I'm like, with everything that was going on in my life at that moment when that book was there, I had so much going on. I had volunteered to coach first grade soccer. I have never played soccer a day in my life. Mm. I had never even watched soccer. So I'm trying to balance watching videos and learning what I can on YouTube, balance school, balance all of my daughter's extracurricular activities, balance volunteering. I was overwhelmed and I knew that I was overextended and I didn't know how to back out of certain things and say, okay, I can't volunteer this month or maybe taking a class this month is not the best choice. Maybe I need a break. I didn't know how to do any of that. I was more concerned with, okay, if I don't finish these things, I'm going to break my momentum or I'm going to look like a failure. You know, I'm going to look like I'm starting things and not seeing them through. And it was weighing me down mentally. You know, I've cried several instances and my daughter's like, you know, you're doing good. Stop crying. I'm like, Oh no, I don't want to fail at you guys. I'm coaching all these kids soccer. Like, I don't want to fail. And she's like, Mom, you know, she goes to school with some of the kids. She's like, They said you're the best coach ever. And I'm like, mm. okay. She's trying to help talk me and cheer me up. So that book helps me a lot. Okay. It definitely did. I'm going to need you to say the title one more time because I love it. <laughs> I want to make sure everyone hears it so that they can pick up their copy. And just deschedule some things so that they can be their best self. Yes, it is the life-changing magic of not giving an asterisk, asterisk, asterisk. She has another one, too, and it's called Get Your, Get Your Shit Together. <laughs> nice, nice, nice. So you shared so much, but I want you to just speak from your heart to the audiences that need to hear your message or story your story of perseverance, your story of getting through the pain, overcoming your past, and just seeing your destiny and taking the steps to get there. So I'll let you just close with where people can connect with you online and just some parting words of wisdom and guidance. So my parting words of guidance would be to stay connected, you know, with fellow veterans in some form. Um, whether it's on social media, you know, there are some great veteran groups with great information. One on Facebook is Veteran to Veteran Info. There are thousands of members in there um, that are all over the country, and it's great information they put out continuously, whether it's going through the VA claims process, um, new policies and stuff, like keeping um, leaders abreast with what's going on in the military today. They connect it through nonprofit organizations or through, you know, your local VFW. Um, transitioning out of the military is a big deal. And oftentimes that reality don't settle in until you're back at home trying to figure out what your next move is. Um, and unless you're married to another service member, many spouses and families don't understand what it feels like to take off that uniform. You know, this is a uniform that commands respect, you know, a uniform that has complete strangers coming up to you, you know, shaking your hand and thanking you for your service. So it's definitely a hard life to just try and put behind you. And you don't have to. Um, many of us lose our identities trying to be uniformed and put the military first. So when you're going through that process of trying to find yourself after the military, it's not easy. And it's not like you really have time to do so. Like reality sets in, life sets in. You have bills to pay. You have a family to provide for. So staying connected to other veterans who've been through the process or understand that sense of loss that you are dealing with is instrumental in terms of not falling into a depressed state, you know, mm -hmm. not 
given into issues you might be dealing with, such as PTSD, not lashing out at your family, and of course, you know, not becoming another veteran that goes on to commit suicide. Like you are still and always will be a soldier. And if anybody wants to connect with me, you can connect with me on Twitter and on Facebook at Amber C for MBA 2017. That C is in Charlie, the number four, Mike Victor Alpha 2017. Wow. 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 And we'll make sure we include your Twitter in our show notes so that you know, our community can just easily reach out to you and, and tell you how great this interview has been. And, you know, for me, I'm inspired by your story. I'm inspired by just your determination to just pick yourself up. And I think the, the piece that really stood out to me was without a lot of the support in place that many have. And I think people don't understand the extra weight that is when you are the foundation. And I think your determination to continue to move towards your destiny, even pursuing your second master's and, and your goal of working as a lawyer, impressive is not even the right word. You're really living out something I deeply believe. And I say it all the time that I believe that veterans are the future of this country and unlocking what's best for this country because Absolutely. right, we were able to serve and sign up to risk it all for everyone people we don't even know, and then we still have to continue to serve when we take the uniform off. And I think you're showcasing that at a very high level. And I thank you for agreeing to be on the show and for sharing your story. And I just want you to know that I believe that you're gonna continue to excel in all that you're working on. Thank you so much. Thank you.